a few years ago, I sat in front of my therapist, very hesitant to ask her the question that I had in mind. Will she judge me? Will she really understand how strongly I feel about this? I honestly didn't know, but I really needed her help. So I made up my mind and asked. I felt like I was at a turning point in my career. So should I do a master's in development, which would open up a lot of job opportunities in the development sector? Or should I learn Korean and see where it leads me? I'm serious, I had to tell her several times. I'm really into this Korean stuff. Hi, I'm Nirupama. And I'm Sadna. We're journalists, but more importantly, we're fans of Korean entertainment. And this is Hello Hallyu, the story of the rise of Korean entertainment in India. The previous episode was an exploration of the role language plays in Hallyu's popularity. In this final episode of the podcast series, we address one of the common questions that fans might be facing. How much fandom is too much? And in thinking about this, we ask if there's a healthy way to be a fan or is Hallyu fandom equal to obsession? We look at the activity of fan communities and see how fans are using Hallyu for their own creative expression. So a couple of years ago, a cousin gifted me a Korean vegan cookbook and, you know, I was super happy. But then just a few days later, a package from my aunt came in the mail. And in that, she actually sent me Korean green tea candy and Korean traditional cookies. And I took a pause and I was like, oh my God, this is embarrassing because does everybody around me think I'm this obsessed with all things Korean? Hey, that's actually really cool. I wish my relatives did that. But, you know, I do understand what you're talking about because that's mostly the way in which most people see K-pop or K-drama fans, right? You know, the other day I actually overheard my mom and my aunt talking to each other on the phone and they were consoling each other saying, don't worry, this is just a phase, it will pass. Our children are not crazy. They're not going to be obsessed with K-dramas, you know, for many years. Yeah, it was just really weird to witness I guess they feel like this because they think of it as a weird thing to be hooked to. Yeah, I think it's the foreignness of Korean entertainment, you know, that makes them worry without understanding. Because on the other hand, you know, when you take boys who are super into football or when you take super fans of Marvel, for instance, right? Nobody is worried about them being too obsessed. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But, you know, honestly, it is possible to get a little too involved in all of this, right? Uh, drown in the Korean wave, like we spoke about in the first episode. Yeah, from my own personal experience, I have to say yes. Because, you know, not even too long ago, just to take an example, I think I stayed up till 6am watching a Korean drama because, you know, somehow the drama was not even great, but I couldn't bring myself to physically press the stop button. So I just kept watching and watching and on and on. Oh, damn. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. This has happened to me a few times also, like this level of extra, you know, excessive binge watching. Um, You know, but I do feel like we're not always so passive that we let this overtake our lives, you know, every day. Um, So Rimi, the BTS fan, as well as editor at Soul Beats, she shares her experience, which throws light on why we may actually be consciously letting ourselves get sucked into it sometimes. How I primarily got into it was at a time when this is something that you might hear from a lot of fan discussions as well, when I was not doing so well overall in life, you know, um, and that's when I happened to watch K-dramas. And it is really, um, I don't know, there's a lot of comfort to be found in Korean dramas. 
and then like a lot of K drama fans, she followed the rite of passage and got into K pop, starting with BTS. In fact, she liked BTS so much, she actually flew to Singapore from Mumbai where she was staying only to attend their concert. She describes this as a turning point in her fan life. For me, the concert was also kind of like a turning point in my relationship with BTS. I think that until then, I hadn't realized how attached I was to them and how close I felt I was to them. But when I was at that concert, there was a moment where Jin, I was, we weren't like right in front, we were like three, three rows back standing there and he walked up to right where we were and he was just looking out at the crowd and you know I had this really strong urge to say something like hi Jin (laughs) like I would reach out to you because you're a friend and I realized that that was so odd he doesn't know me at all and here I have this weird urge to say hello just like to like a normal friend and then I was like wait a second I think I'm too attached to them (laughs) I'm feeling way too close like I feel like I want to have normal conversations with these guys. Obviously, they don't even know who I am. So it's a bit awkward. Uh, so that that feeling was really odd for me. So I think on reflection, when I came back, I kind of tried to reevaluate. Like I had thought that I didn't feel any of this and that, you know, I'm like a perfectly in control kind of fan. But I think that made me realize that I was perhaps spending way too much time on BTS and maybe feeling a little too close to them. Um, and I had to consciously work to distance myself. Wow, the incident that she's talking about, I think it beautifully brings out what it's like to be a fan in all of its complexity. So, you know, as fans, we seek comfort, community, and so many other things from our fandom. And while this may be the case with all fandoms, I feel like with Hallyu, it's even more tricky um, because it's built to encourage this sort of hyper-consumption and this deep level of engagement. That's true because, you know, the level of emotional investment that I see some fans putting into K-pop is, you know, unlike anything I've seen before. Yeah, I get it. But of course, non-fans don't get it, right? So we thought we should talk to somebody who can explain this a little more. We spoke to Advaita, a practicing psychologist in India, who also follows K-pop and K-dramas. We all consume media because it offers us a distraction from our everyday troubles. I think if you're aware of the fact that, you know, I'm enjoying this and I follow this actor and I follow this group because um, I, it's something that I bond over people with, I think it can have positive consequences for your mental health. If you can draw the line and you draw the boundary saying that this is my entertainment and this is the reality, there is nothing wrong with using it as an escapist fantasy. The worry is that maybe younger people can't do that because they get really involved in it. Yes, I watch a K-drama one and a half hours every day because it's enjoyable. But if I have responsibilities and I spend the entire day watching 10 episodes, then obviously that is affecting your functioning. Or I spend all my time daydreaming about a particular character and I believe this is the kind of partner I want and this is the life I want and this is what was shown in a particular song or a, and this is exactly how life will play out. I think that's where you're unable to see the difference between what you're being, uh, what is being sold to you and what how reality really pans out. That distinction becomes so important, right? And, you know, when you have a lot going on in your own life, which is 
maybe you're super busy at work or you know you have friends checking in on you uh you kind of don't slip into this kind of an obsession in fact when you find friends and a community in fandom that that can actually help stop you from going into this state so there has been some research that has also shown that you know any kind of uh, any topic so for example people bond over sports and they bond over their love for let's say a particular kind of sport a celebrity or a sports person like like cricket in india has an obsessive following even today um similarly k-pop and the k-wave is something that has fans and they have multiple fans and i think that yes it's a it's a good way of feeling less isolated of making new friends making friends across the world yes so there are so many things that people take out of their fandom and the first out of that the most important thing is the community for hallyu fans especially this whole community is so important because when you tend to tell people around you that oh you're a fan of k-pop or k-dramas you know you get a weird stare or a blank stare at best so you want to find people who are as into it as you are or uh, you want to find people to talk with about all of these things so one way that fans do this is they view k-pop reaction videos You are now reacting to the solo artist IU and the B-side song My Sea aka The Sea of a Kid and I which is the Korean title released on her 2021 Lilac album even if you are trapped in your own Emma Chang who actually created this channel called uh, React to the K which has over 700,000 subscribers um, where they mainly react to K-pop songs so she talks about why K-pop reaction videos actually resonate so much K-pop videos or reaction videos were born. People from all around the world who didn't have a friend in real life to talk about the music with flooded in to that one person reacting so that they can converse with them. And so why I think reaction videos are so special is because it's it's hard to find a group of friends who love what you do. And so when you see a reaction video it's someone to talk with almost. It's it's someone to uh support the artist with. It's someone to connect with. The K-pop reaction world has become very important. Yeah, and in India there are communities of all sizes for this. So there are small WhatsApp groups where just a few people are sharing, you know, um things about K-pop or K-drama whatever they follow and then there are these humongous Facebook groups which have hundreds and thousands of members and there are also these super established fan committees which conduct their own huge events like tree plantations and uh, donation drives. Yeah, it's so nice to see fans actually taking inspiration from their idols. to do all of the things that you're mentioning right and there there are things that k-pop and k-drama fans in india have done as well yeah and i find this very interesting you know especially as one of the older fans because when i was in college there was just a bunch of us who were fans and we used to share the files with the dramas with each other and we used to send each other wallpapers and uh, songs and you know after college got over every day we would all get together in this one spot in college where we would sit and gush over k dramas or sit and watch k pop songs yeah so it was a small town there wasn't much else that we could do and social media wasn't as pervasive at that point didn't you have local meetups um no not i don't think at that point there were local meetups in small cities um so in chennai which is uh, the uh, closest metro city uh, which also has uh, indo korean cultural center there was a fan group there 
they were called Dorama Club. It was actually for both uh, Japanese as well as Korean drama fans. And yeah, I used to wish that I was in Chennai so that I could be part of those meetups. Oh, did you finally manage to join that? Oh, uh, no, actually, even when I went to Chennai later, um, I didn't get to, yeah, I didn't get to join them. So now it's been eight years while researching for this podcast. I was like, it's been so long. I should check what they're up to. So I searched and I found out that they're now a much bigger group, uh, aptly renamed as K-Wave India. And uh, I reached out to the founder of the group, Sanjay, after all of these years. So Dorama Club started in 2007-2008 and it was a very small group, you know, people from around Chennai, Tamil Nadu. There was some across India, so, but it was so special back then. It was a rare, such a rare thing to find somebody who likes like, you know, dramas and Asian culture. It was so rare and especially Korean dramas. And so we used to all meet up in small, small restaurants, like five of us, ten of us in Chennai. And like, oh my God, nice to meet you all. I can't believe you, you, you're the only person I know apart from me who likes this. It was so exciting. And you know, we, were, we used to meet up and we used to eat all the Korean food or Japanese food. Then slowly we started having small, small meets and events at Inco Center in Chennai. We start off small. We had like 20, 30 people. We would get in there. We would play some K-pop music and we'd everyone just dance around. And it was like, like, like oh, yay, fun. And from there, slowly, just from 2012, we started in 2012. And from 2013, 2014, started growing up higher, higher, higher. By 2014, we got the Korean consulate support, you know, the Korean embassy support. So that's when we changed our name officially to K-Wave India. That's when the Hallyu was picking up in India, you know, and it was more focused into Korean. So on Facebook, we decided to still have the Drama Club, people who still are there. And then we wanted to have the K-Wave India in, in Instagram and go forward like that. But I remember the first time we had a meet with the Korean consulate sponsor, we had about 60 people. And that time I was like, wow, man, 60 people. I can't believe this. Like, oh my God, we were like five and now you're 60. You know, it was so, it was so like, amazing back then. And then as the years progressed, 2015, 2016, it kept becoming 100, 200, 300, 500, 1000. It, it, it kept growing. So from all of our interviews and um, in general, what I've been seeing on K-pop fan Twitter, right? I think there's been a change in how Hallyu fandom itself operates, which is earlier, uh, like you were saying, right? It was small groups, maybe, you know, if you had one or two people around you, you would share that with them. But now people want to go all out and they want to find others in their city or maybe they're even traveling for, you know, this idol's birthday or to celebrate, you know, this K-drama couple getting together, stuff like that. So it's a very community-focused fandom now. Yeah, and I find that very interesting. And you know how we discussed how the northeast part of India has a lot of fans of Hallyu. Um, so there, this sense of community is much bigger and it's much more heightened. So especially when the entire group is, you know, largely made up of women, the whole experience becomes much more enjoyable and liberating, I think, you know, because uh, they don't have to worry about the male gaze. So this is something that our Mizoram University research scholar Vivon talks about. It is very significant because the fans are girls mostly. So it has become more of, uh, you know, girl youth culture in some sense. And then there are a lot of boys included, but, you know, very small. There was a huge, you know, concert and then thousands of thousands of girls coming up to watch a concert uh, in the evening, late evening. 
So it was a specter, you know, a very different specter that was created because it was all girls. You know, when we talk about concerts and everything at night in Manipur or in North East, it is mostly about boys coming out at night and then enjoying the uh, concert and then jumping, shouting everywhere. But here it's girls. So here it's girls who are making a choice of what they should like and how they perform their own agency, you know, to come out at night and then enjoy a concert. And creating a, a very comfortable space where they do not have to be scared of, you know, any guy touching them or a drunk guy, you know, in the middle of the concert, bothering them or disturbing them. But it's all girls and enjoying and shouting. So it's very different. A very new concept of, you know, a public sphere or space is created in this. There's this whole image of fans as being mindless consumers, right? Especially when the fans are young women. But fans do have, you know, multiple ways in which they actually engage with the media. So fan studies, which is an academic discipline like, you know, media studies. Uh, so fan studies talks about how, you know, fandom in general, it's a participatory process. Oh, like, you know, when fans make covers of songs or, you know, write fan fiction. So watch me bring the fire, set the night light. Shoes on, get up in the morning, cup of milk, let's rock Yeah, or even us, when we're creating this podcast, right? We're not just watching dramas or listening to K-pop. We're making something with our fandom. Um, so I like to think we are also one in the sort of ecosystem of fan creators, right? Uh, so, you know, people who take the thing that they're a fan of, whether it's K-pop, K-dramas, fashion, or even beauty, and sort of apply it in their own context and explain it. Uh, fan studies calls this whole process textual poaching. Wow, again, another fascinating academic term. So what's interesting is that almost all the people that we spoke to were doing this in one way or another, right? Like Rimi, who started off writing about her fandom and now is an editor at Soul Beats. And Miranda, who, um, you know, was initially a fan and is now a researcher of fandom. And of course, Emma, who is a creator of a very popular YouTube channel and is now expanding to create more videos, uh, including interviews of people from the K-pop industry. Yeah, and we also spoke to Sanjay and Jennifer who, you know, they learned Korean because they were fans, but they actually went on to translate for Korean companies. Yes, and Jen and Sarah Chung, of course, because, you know, they're founders of the Drama Beans and now the Swoon. So while that was the you know, positive, the creative expression side of that fandom brings out in you. I find that fandom also brings out this other side in some people, which is they tend to get so involved in the fandom that, you know, they sort of become fans of the entire country or race even. Uh, I know what you're talking about. And <laughs> this has happened to me. Uh, initially, I used to be pretty deep into this but uh, even now I'm you know very fascinated with um, all things Korean and going to Korea is one of my short-term goals in life. See being a fan of the culture that's fine because you know even I am a fan of Korean culture in general or wanting to visit that's also another thing but there's a line that you draw right uh, which is what the fans that I'm talking about that they kind of fail to make that distinction you know when uh, so for instance it's like these fans think that 
everything that they're saying in dramas or in pop songs is literally everything that's there in Korean society. So in a way, you know, thinking that everything you see in Bollywood represents all of India exactly, which I sound insane just as I'm saying it. But there are fans who don't make that distinction, you know, when they're actually consuming South Korean media. Yeah, I know that so many people actually learn the language hoping to study or, you know, to go work in Korea or even find a partner and get settled there. Um, I don't know if you've watched these uh, videos of Indians who live in Korea or Indians who are married to Korean people. Some of those YouTube channels have lakhs of subscribers. अभी बज चुके हैं दस सुबह के और मोंग मोंग का टाइम हो चुका है बाहर घूमने का ये जो आप देख सकते हैं वो है एक ओह एक्चुअली यूट्यूब रेकमेंडेड फ्यू ऑफ दोज वीडियोस टू मी आई डोंट नो व्हाई बट आई एंडेड अप क्लिकिंग ऑन वन सो इट वाज कॉल्ड इंडियन कोरियन कपल हाउ वी मेट and i clicked on it because it had 15 million views okay and then it had some 59000 likes Hope you're doing well under God's grace and protection. This is Julie JJ. I'm Yujung. And I'm Jacob. Today we are going to talk about how we met. How she so one of the comments really caught my eye because, you know, it was made by the kind of fan that I'm talking about, which is, so this user called Neetu, she commented saying, me after watching this video, maybe one day I can also date a Korean oppa. Hashtag never lose hope. Oh, Neetu. <laughs> I know. The comment section of these videos, they are so amusing. You know what else I really like watching? Videos about India's connection to Korea. You know, there are some hundred people who have made videos on these and every single one of them has so many views. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? Uh, the mythical origin story? So there is this half historical, half mythological story that, you know, there was this Indian princess who went to Korea in the first century AD. And then she went on to become this famous queen. Um, so the Kim and Ho clans of Korea are supposed to be descendants of her. So that's, I think, like half of Korea. I don't know. So in the accounts talking about her, um, it is said that she came from the distant land of Ayuta. And there are two theories. One which says that Ayuta is Ayodhya because duh. And the other more nuanced theory is that Ayuta is actually Kanyakumari in Tamil Nadu, uh, which used to be called that. And you know which side I'm on. Well, according to Wikipedia, legend also says that King Suro, which is the king that this princess supposedly married, uh, mm-hmm. was one of six princes born from eggs that descended from the sky in a golden bowl wrapped in a red cloth. So, make of that what you will. Uh, don't you know that you're not supposed to believe everything on Wikipedia? Anyway, I strongly believe that she was a Tamil princess because how else will you explain the 500 common words that exist between Tamil and Korean? Hey, just because you want to justify your obsession with all things Korean to your mother and say, Amma, this is all Tamil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But more seriously, uh, you know, to a lot of people... their culture's connection with Korea means a lot. And, you know, some people might call this a sort of exoticization of uh, Korean things. So, Advaita, our psychologist K-pop fan, she also mentioned it. Definitely, an element of exoticism exists and we have to be a little bit more aware of it. But I don't think we really need to see it as an obsession, really. Hear her out. 
I do think there's a cultural element here and I think that's the interesting bit which is making everybody take notice of the fact so if you look at artists that have exploded in the last 50 years definitely the Beatles are one example then you have Justin Bieber Taylor Swift they are either American or British they're white mostly um, they are cisgendered uh, they are heterosexual the exoticism that you're talking about I think again is pushed by the West I do think that Western countries are very self-consumed so even with you know if you generally read Twitter and you read a lot of commentators from South America and the Africas and India and this Middle East and the Southeast Asia so if you really are a little bit more perceptive mm-hmm. you realize that the average American uh, fan or the British fan is Although they have diversity, they're still very close. They're very consumed by themselves. So for other countries, it's easier for us to, you know, learn about another culture, learn about the food they eat. India by itself is so diverse. So not that we're the most accepting, not at all. But at least we are aware that there are different dialects and, you know, different cuisines and within the same country. Exactly. So we as Indians, we've been watching Western movies and shows for so many years. And, you know, we've been learning the lingo and, you know, wanting to go and settle in cities like New York, London and Paris. All of this for so long. But nobody thinks any of that is unhealthy, right? So whether this interest that we see in so many people for all things Korean, whether this is a new obsession, I think that whole question is misplaced. I agree. And I'm actually rooting for Korean entertainment to become more popular just so that fans are not othered by people around them. Yeah. Do you know what? Just yesterday, I received an email from our HR in my office saying, you know, uh, saying that why don't you relax by watching some of these things? And one of the recommendations was a Korean drama. And it made my day because I was like, they finally arrived when official HR emails recommend Korean dramas to you. So, yeah, I think I'm going to start on this awareness acceptance project right away. Um, And in fact, I feel like Hello Hallyu itself is a first step towards that, right? And of course, Hello Hallyu, our website where you and I and also other fans, we're going to be writing about all things Hallyu. So I'm really excited for uh, what's lying ahead for Hallyu in India. Oh, me too. But having said that, you know, I think people shouldn't be having to go to such lengths to justify their interest in Korean entertainment or have others around them demand these justifications of them. Because, you know, the stories are fantastic. The music is catchy and the idols and actors look good. So why not? Absolutely. But if someone is still not convinced, do send them this podcast series. Annyeong! Hello Hallyu has been brought to you by The Swaddle. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out more of our work on theswaddle.com. Follow at The Swaddle on YouTube, Instagram and Twitter to stay updated on all our latest work.